0: Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint The Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily from the House of Rue. How's it going, y'all? Howdy. It's going okay, I guess. Oh, what's wrong, Corey? Well... Yeah, all
1: these salt tablets you sent us and you had us eat for, for research for this episode.
0: It's really doing a number on my kidneys. <laughs> you have to get into the, the, the mindset of the characters. Look, Corey. I'm not. You need salts and you need I'm love. not having
1: 50 That's... milligrams three times a day, okay? I don't care about this podcast that much
2: the deer have been insatiable knocking at my door day and night it's it's been very frightening i'm afraid of what they'll do to me when they get in
1: i suspect clint didn't have any of these salt tablets himself either
0: (laughs) oh man i love salt don't don't you worry i eat i eat a ton of salt we have a joke my dad loves salt too his like senses are just like burned out. you know like his taste buds are burned out with all the salt
1: it is crazy. Like, I don't know if you have anyone in your life, What I guess your dad, but like some people are just so gross with their salt. Like my cousin, mm-hmm. like we'll get a hamburger, right? And he'll, he'll lift the patty up and before even tasting it, he'll grab that salt shaker and just a stream, a waterfall of that beautiful white crystal, uh, just <laughs> all over the patty. And it's just, it grosses me out.
0: All right. So you guys ready to get into the episode? I've titled this one, the one with McCoy's thirsty X. So, in this episode, the Enterprise goes to a distant, distant desert planet to conduct physicals on a couple who are studying a, the remains of a dead civilization. The woman in this couple turns out to be Dr. McCoy's ex-lover, who turns out to be a salt-sucking alien who's desperate for love. And I think we can all uh, all sympathize with her. Sure. Clint,
2: Clint's really like, please, please love me, guys. I I will say this does seem to point out something that I've noticed in the OS that it's like oh the to boldly go where no one's gone before, but um in a lot of this they're not so much discovering new planets as like planets that people have been Robinson Crusoe on.
1: I I would be so mm-hmm. excited if I was the captain of of the. the the most powerful ship in Starfleet and my job was to go do physicals on barren planets within Federation (laughs) space.
2: Our five year mission to
1: give
0: colonoscopies to all scientists serving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a good point. I had that in my notes. We're like, wow, this is a lot of effort to send a whole ship to conduct physicals on two people.
2: Especially when theoretically they have the technology to just be like, in their ship and be like, hey, this is the Enterprise. It's time for your physical. And then when he's like, no, we're fine without you. They're like, okay, just beam them up. Like, swipe the temperature over their head like a baby or a dog. And then beam them back down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's like, uh, you've seen Idiocracy, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, God, like Where
0: they're like, m- yeah, like the their medical machines. They, there's two probes. There's one you put in your mouth. And the other one you put up your butt. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's all. Physicals are conducted. <laughs> I too. I want to go back too to what you said, Emily. Where you know it's like oh, where no one has gone gone before, but it's a lot of like places that people have gone before. So it is like kind of an interesting place because it's like almost like the U.S. where people like went out west, yeah, and then like we invented planes so we could get out west quicker so it's like they have a plane right they have faster ships now so now they're going to like check on everyone who's like went to California or whatever that's that's kind of the feel I get a lot from these episodes yeah
2: I think the word you're looking for is colonialist (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Uh, I just want to be the first person to say uh, if if I could colonize any planet it would be Wrigley's Pleasure Planet (laughs) that is the name (laughs) of the planet that is uh (laughs) That is name-dropped at the start of this episode. I don't know if it was the Ensign or uh, the McCoy who says it, but, like, I it was yeah, the ensign. I love to go to Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. I think that turns into Ryza a little bit later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was wondering well,
2: if it's, like, a stadiums, you know, where it's, like, the Verizon Stadium. The stadium.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: <laughs> Coca-Cola presents... <laughs> Fuck planet
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I like to think like Gum has gone a lot more powerful Like you know has become much more of a powerful Corporate entity you know In end stage capitalism <laughs> When like they're converting into uto- You know like Utopian way of, of It's like oh man big gum is coming In and sponsoring pleasure planets <laughs> The
2: gum wars
0: <laughs> mm, The cool refreshing this is a nice Spearmint breeze we have here <laughs> I uh, I told
1: you guys before we started recording that uh, cuz I watched this episode a month ago and that's where my month, my notes are from and there's just some stuff on here I just don't know. Maybe you guys can help me cuz I don't know what this means. Let's I wrote yeah, let's, pick hay not flower.
0: Do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> pick hay not flower? Yeah. Pick
2: Wow. I don't know. Do they talk about growing hay?
1: I have oh, gosh. I have no clue. Oh wasn't it at the start like he picks the, some flowers to bring to his ex? McCoy picks some flowers, oh, but they're uh-huh. not flowers. Yeah. I think it was just like gr- oh, like yeah. grass.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, oh. now I know what I'm talking about. Cassidy. Yeah, it, you're so uh, observant yeah. and clever.
2: If I may, <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I have a note that I don't remember. That's just called "I've lost a man" with an exclamation mark at the
1: end. <laughs> oh, haven't we all? Uh, <laughs> that. The Ensign is... Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. He's one horny boy.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he sees that blonde and he gets all he gets all so, excited and embarrassed. Himself. So we
1: should... Okay, so I just want to set up the... Uh, I think that this is a great episode to um, not do a scene by scene by, but just like... We, mm-hmm. the fir- there are three scenes in this whole uh, episode. Uh, <laughs> the first scene is when... Uh, Kirk, McCoy, and Horny Ensign meet the group of scientists that they're supposed to do the physical on. Uh, the male mm-hmm. scientist doesn't want anybody there. He's all crotchety and... Crockety?
0: Crotchety? The young Ensign... A, a crotchety crocodile. He's, the
1: young Ensign's all horny because he sees the, the scientist's, the doctor's wife, and she's a beautiful uh, young woman. McCoy looks at her, mm. and she's, uh, she's the exact person he dated 20 years ago hasn't aged a day mm-hmm. and um kirk looks at her and she looks like a middle-aged woman so already we have a mystery here
0: i'm surprised he didn't shoot her just like the way the attitudes were in the 60s or like what is she's hideous and it's like she just has gray hair it's like shoot her she's a monster right <laughs> abandon her on a planet discovered-
2: as, as Kirk, who's like, I've discovered this from my predecessor. <laughs> the worst thing that can happen to a woman is being ugly. This is a mercy killing.
1: When they're, when they're arguing about her, her age, because McCoy's like, oh, she just looks good. And, and uh, Kirk's like, no, man, wait, man. I mean, she looks fine, but she's like way older. And McCoy's like, no, she looks great. And they're arguing about it when they hear a scream outside. And it's the horny ensign. And he has been, <laughs> he has been sucked. I guess. Yeah, the salt's been sucked out of him. He's been
2: hickeyed to death.
1: Mm -hmm. And like when you look at them, they look like they have like bubonic plague all over their face. Uh, (laughs) But so I said there were three scenes in this whole episode. I just told you the first scene. The second scene is going to be crew members are going to get their faces sucked off, and all the and all Mm -hmm. the sodium is going to leave their bodies, and then. Yeah, it's the same problem that I had with the previous episode that we watched where like the the second act was just so like long and repetitive and just went on and on and on and on. And I think it's like filling that 50 minute time slot in. But like, no joke, what happens is that the salt vampire uh, beams up, tricks everybody and beams up and changes her body. And she literally walks around the corridor for 25 minutes uh, while well,
0: biting biting her yeah, knuckle yes oh, while yeah. suspenseful music is playing
2: well and the weirdest thing that i kept thinking about watching this is i'm like just go to the kitchen you dumb woman like do you know how much mm-hmm. salt is in a kitchen
0: <laughs> she doesn't she's an alien salt sucker she doesn't know anything except she needs to salt suck uh, she needs to suck salt and be loved that's all this creature knows
2: i mean just like 1960s American women, am I right? <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, my my significant other watched this episode with me, and she was like, "You could sum up this whole episode with one word: dames." And I think that that's very true. Uh, this is another example of how <laughs> how how women in the 1960s were quite troublesome.
0: Wait, would you say dames. Dames. dames? dames. Oh, dames. Okay, I get you. Them dames. Do they just want a man for assault? That's all. That's all they care about. That, What's an assault shaker? That's
2: actually like, I mean, we could have just recorded that and posted that as the episode. That's
0: that is <laughs> dames, dames.
2: Dang it. <laughs> uh,
0: I do agree with you, Corey. This is a pretty boring episode. I think it kind of suffers from. Since this is the 60s and people weren't really, like, super used to sci-fi, like, they had to, like, let concepts breathe more to get people to, like, understand them, if that makes sense. Like, we see, like, a salt-sucking alien thing where, like, oh, yeah, like, we get it instantly. But probably, like, in the 60s, it took them, like, longer to, like, you know, let this idea seep into their brain it just kind of like took longer back then for people. Like, I bet, like, if we saw this right when it, it came out, we'd be like, whoa, what a crazy concept, you know, like salt sucking aliens. But now it's just like, okay, yeah, she sucks salt. Like, what else is going yeah, on? Yeah, for episodes? sure. So, so,
1: so yeah. the, uh, the, I was wondering while I was watching this because, like, the way it's set up is that the doctor and the salt sucking vampire who looks like a beautiful woman who looks different to everybody, um, <laughs> the, he, Like found her on this planet because his wife, McCoy's actual ex-girlfriend, she died a while back. Uh, And
0: she got her, her she she got the cell sucked
1: out of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this old scientist marries this monster that lives on this planet. um, And uh, the monster assumes the form of his, uh, his, his now dead wife. Um, Here's what I was thinking. Would would honesty have been the best policy? Because he he tried so hard to keep everybody in the dark about who this thing was. He's like, no, this is my wife. I just need more salt tablets. Can you bring more salt tablets down? If he had said, hey, guys, listen, look, this is not my wife. This is a monster that looks like my wife. We love each other very much. That's not a crime, is it? Can we get her some salt, please? Like, if he had just yeah. been honest about everything, would, they, would there have been no, any No, I agree issue? with you.
2: I actually, mm-hmm. I think this is like why this still feels like kind of generic sci-fi and not Star Trek as we know it, because it ends. Can I just jump ahead to the end really? Quickly? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. He. It ends with this, the doctor like finally getting caught out and he's like, this creature is the absolute last of its kind. Like mm-hmm. there's no more of it. And, you know, we've just been companions or whatever and uh, then somehow the creature gets killed I can't remember who shoots the creature and it ends like with Kirk thinking he says like the doctor says it's the last of its kind like the American buffalo and the last line in the scene is Star Trek Kirk like someone says what are you thinking about And he's like the buffalo and then it ends there on this really like sad note but like Mm -hmm. Kirk sort of contemplating mortality or whatever and to me i think star trek in the more recent and like as it went on probably would have maybe let that creature go and said like i know i'm Mm -hmm. doing the wrong thing but i can't help it whereas this was sort of like i don't know it that was a really interesting moment where i saw both like the promise of what the show would become and also kind of like it's not there yet
0: but mm-hmm. No, I'm glad. i glad you. I'm glad you guys brought this up because I was definitely thinking the same thing. Um, like, if it was Pat, Captain Picard, he'd be like, "We need to figure out a way to like not kill this creature and like peacefully make it stop killing our crew members." Yeah, like well,
2: there's even a scene where someone says, "Why don't you just give it salt without?" Because they put like salt in traps to try and get it when it's wandering around the ship. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Why don't you just give it salt without the traps?" And I'm like, "This is like they're making." they were making a bigger problem than they had on hand. Like all they had to do was beam mm-hmm. down salt.
1: Yeah, your point with Picard, like there's the episode where there's like the space whale uh, and it's it's like sucking the energy off of the Enterprise because it thinks the Enterprise mm-hmm. is its mom and it's like going to destroy mm-hmm. the ship. And even to that point, Picard's like, no. And then, you know, the classic example with the crystalline entity, which is like a, a like a city destroying thing. Um,
0: it's like a planet destroying yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, it was it it, it was just kind of interesting that the the whole conflict of the episode was that nobody was sharing information with each other, and that this thing was mm-hmm. like slowly jack the rippering things. Uh, and it always just bothers. I know it's a stupid sci fi show, but it always bothers me when like yeah. one conversation could have just cleared up everything. Mm-hmm. But
2: Clint says that constantly about sitcoms.
0: Yeah, where a lot of sitcoms is like would be five minutes long if they were actual adults and like sat down and just like talked about something or it was like, Oh no, like, Oh, I saw you, you know, like so-and-so sitting on your lap. And then like 30 minutes later, uh, it was like, Oh, she tripped on my lap and you just saw this one part. It's like, Oh, well let's get over it's like, it. No, then. you yeah. don't understand.
1: She's my sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, that makes it worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but yeah no this is definitely like the like oh yeah we're not communicating sort of problems i think it so this is my analysis of it is kirk is usually like a pretty forgiving person like until you fuck with his ship like when you start like fucking with his ship and like killing his 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 crew members you're dead and there's nothing you can do to absolve yourself except to die and there's a lot of times, I because I, this isn't my first watch through of it, I've seen a lot, you know, a good couple of TOS episodes, it's been a couple of years, but there's a lot of times where I feel like Kirk could, like, de-escalate the situation. And he just does And he doesn't, and then instead of de-escalating it, he just, like, throws gasoline all over the fire, and then he's like, well, this is what you want, you wanted more fire, so we're just gonna have more fire until everyone's dead, and that sort of thing, I don't know, but... um, yeah it definitely like he doesn't he doesn't de-escalate the situation he just like kind of accelerates until like he kills whatever is the problem i didn't
2: think this at the time but in hearing you guys talk i think this sounds a lot like reflective of environmental and political strategies of the time Mm -hmm. like the early 60s were still kind of like post-World War II, post-Korea, pre-Vietnam, like, very American exceptionalism and aggression. Like, we're going to tame nature. We're going to subdue enemies. And so it would make sense to have this, like, American stand-in sci-fi captain be very aggressive. And then
0: mm-hmm. when you
2: start looking at Picard in the 90s, you're looking at more of, like, a second or third or fourth or whatever. Like, environmental wave, you're looking at... Um, you know more diplomacy um jimmy carter bill clinton like compromise kind of era and so it would make sense that you would have picard who's more interested in sort of letting people be and and trying to make a, find a solution that works for everybody
1: oh god i don't want to see who the next captain would be with uh
0: <laughs>
1: with our current administration <laughs>
0: No, I definitely agree with you. Like, the way that, like, I, I want to say the sixties work or whatever, like, Kirk is a man of action. He, he's a man of supreme morals. Um, and he will do the moral thing, but he's also, you know, a man of action and he's going to take whatever actions he thinks he needs to protect his ship. Um, sure, he'll kill the salt sucking alien, but he'll feel bad about it afterwards yeah. and he'll contemplate about it afterwards. Um, and you know, then make fun of Vulcans and then, you know, cue, cue credits. So like Kurt, so Kurt's yeah, very
2: nature, he has to be inflexible and rigid. And then hard mm-hmm. is like constantly tortured by his own flexibility and ability to see every situation.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I like Cisco too, because like Picard has a, has a rigid, uh, compass because he is seen as the leader of the flagship of the federation of planets. Uh, and he, you know, he, he has to make the right moves and he has to be cordial and diplomatic and and thoughtful. But like with Cisco, it's like, I have a mission to complete. I have, I am way under budget. I'm way understaffed. I got no support. So I got to kind of do whatever I got to do to complete my mission. Even if some of the things Mm -hmm. are a little, you know, morally gray and a little, because, because I need to complete this.
2: Uh, he's far away from high command. He, mm-hmm. I also, I like Cisco too. I like, he kind of also has this, like, it reminds me of people who work in the government or bureaucracy a lot where they're just like, that's the way it is. And like, <laughs> well, listen, if you do something bad and I don't know about it, I'm not going to get in trouble. Like, let that guide your actions.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to be looking over here. If something happens behind my back, I don't. I didn't see it.
1: Yeah. One of the ensigns that goes down to the planet, his name is Green. He has he has an yeah. interesting looking mug. Um, he gets killed, but they don't know. McCoy and Kirk don't know because the Salt vampire has assumed the form of Green. And that's actually how uh, she gets up to the planet or up to the Enterprise mm-hmm. because she's pretending to be Green. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting that Green had just seen like a murder happen and like there was a dead crewman but the second he beams up to the ship he just starts like sl- like silk like slinking around the hallways and the corridors <laughs> like a big creepo um, and everyone's like wow Green you're sure acting weird uh and then like they just
0: go chase a comet yeah
1: yeah it'd be like <laughs> dude don't you have like a report to file you just saw an ensign <laughs> get murdered right like right. and so he and I and I say that to bring this up. Green's like going around, uh, weirding everybody out, and goes into um, the arboretum, the greenhouse, I guess.
2: Oh, this is s- just delightful.
0: I just want to say though before we get to this, because there's a scene beforehand where there's the yeoman, the yeoman. Um, I forget what her name is. <gasps> but, oh my
2: god, um, with
0: the hairdo. Yeah, with the awesome hairdo. Uh, we should talk. About oh, that you mean a the waitress? The it's one that's like, always
2: yeah, taking like cocktails. A <laughs> yeah, it's like a well, beehive that's braided. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But so she has a tray of food, right? And she has some sort of alien celery and like a salt shaker and stuff. And she's like eating from it. But then she also takes that food to to Sulu. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Like, I thought that was just so weird. Like, I don't... But she's, like, eating from this tray, that, but she's bringing food to... And it seems like that's what human do, is just um, bring food to people and take it away. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's like, it's she, like she, a she was, Sonic
1: in space. She just has her roller skates on and just drops off. <laughs> it's like the end of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He just goes gives food to everybody.
0: <laughs> I would love to see them on just roller <laughs> Then They're getting attacked, and they're just, like... Doing that thing you do when you're falling off your rollerblades and trying to catch your, catch your footing.
2: Clint, I love that you said rollerblades and not roller skates.
0: Roller skates, yeah. No, the, I mean, you get a choice. You get a it choice is, on these starships. You're right, it's the future.
2: Well, she <laughs> yeah. also walks past a guy who's, like, just a background character. But mm-hmm. he's painting, like, a metal duct or whatever. And I hmm. was like, what the fuck is he doing? And then I realized, like, on boats... Or like bridges, you have to paint things because they'll rust. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, they're taking the boat metaphor a little far because nothing's going to <laughs> rust inside a spaceship.
1: There's like the camera pans out, there's like this dude like scraping barnacles off the side of
0: the yeah. hole. Like
1: he has like a, a fishbowl spacesuit on. And...
2: <laughs> Fish go Did by. Did you notice there's like.
0: Weird like radiation suits that some people wear. You know, they like wear like a suit with like a hood on it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys notice that? I did. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Um, it's the '60s, so they're very aware of like radiation.
1: Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. What uh, before we finish up on the on the f- food service, um, I thought at the end it was. It just stuck out to me that she shows up again at the end with her tray of food on the bridge and like Kirk is like eating some ramen or whatever on the bridge. And I don't think <laughs> Picard would. I, I never saw anybody in all of the seasons of TNG have one thing to eat on the bridge because I have a, I I have know. a feeling that's just not done. Right. It's like taboo to have like a milkshake or whatever. Even...
0: I'm sure Picard would definitely freak out if you were eating on the yeah, bridge. Yeah, because
1: there's that, that episode in TNG when the, um, like, Ensign Lopez or whatever, she's like, oh, I'm this is my first day in engineering. Um, I'm going to get a, like, a hot fudge sundae or a banana split down in engineering. And then Picard comes down and she spills it on him.
2: <laughs> well, see, this is the difference between Picard and Kirk. Like, Kirk is morally inflexible, but... A rebel about the little rules, and Picard is like so like philosophical that it ties him in knots. But he's such a stickler for propriety.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You just don't eat yeah. on the bridge. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she. So I, she goes is, into. I'm having
2: flashbacks to my undergrad computer labs of like, please don't ever eat in here, you horrible cretins.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like. I think their computers are probably a little bit more expensive than ours. Actually, money doesn't exist, so never mind. <laughs> uh, but so they go to she. This green guy is slinking around, creeping everybody out. Goes into the greenhouse where uh, where Sulu is, and we were talking about this a little earlier. But we were like, in these first couple of episodes, it's really not clear what Sulu's job is because it seems that he's in charge of like taking care of the greenhouse. Because he's like there. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, last episode, they said he was in charge of astrophysics.
1: Which has nothing to do with uh, animatronic uh, plants.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So before this
2: series started, there was a huge battle and they lost so many people that everybody has to have like three or four jobs. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, uh, the greenhouse is great. I love the the hand plant.
2: Mm-hmm. That freaks out when the guy is there. Also, I the heavy-handedness in this episode with the names is great. Like, the Borgia plant and, like, the ensign who's gullible is named Green. And I was just like, oh. That's oh, my boring. gosh.
0: They're, yeah, their their name game is on point in this episode. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um do you guys want to talk about Because this is, I think, the introduction of McCoy and Ohura uh, in this episode as well. Um, I mean, I like Ohura. It's definitely, you know, like in the 60s where she's like, don't you want to tell me like I'm beautiful or like what the planet Vulcan looks like on a, you know, balmy summer's night or something like that? Yeah. Um, oh, it's, but I do, it's great. I do like her. She
2: says on a moonlit night and uh, yeah. Spock just goes. Uh, it has no moon.
1: <laughs> the rebooted Star Trek would like to speak with you because that was a big plot point. Yeah. Because oh, he's
0: that it ha- that Vulcan has no moon or yeah
1: because he was on the moon of Vulcan as he watches it get destroyed.
0: Oh, that's funny. Uh, well,
2: don't y- Spock and O'Hara have like a romantic interest in the new one too? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She seemed to be kind of hitting on no, him. No, she was trying to I get him know. to
1: break. Like she was making fun of him, and I was like, "He ha- he's a different alien race. Don't be a dick." She's like yeah. trying to like like why aren't you flirting with me? He's like, "Well, first of all, this is a starship, and uh, I'm your superior, and I don't want to, and I don't feel those emotions." Um, but she just kept like egging him on. It was like, "Man, what, what, would you like?" Yeah, I don't know. The yeah. whole the st- whole subplot with her was kind of sp- like she there's the after the the monster turns into green it turns into like a like a good-looking black guy like speak swahili mm. um to like try and um, seduce uhura and i don't know seduce, it was just strange
2: seduce the salt out of her yeah <laughs> i like it was weird because i know that uhura becomes like a recurring character I know that she becomes a mainstay but that's I don't know much beyond that and so this was very weird to me to be like what is this character like I I wrote down flipper to gibbet. like she's just sort of this like well I'll say honey like uh, so yeah I I felt it was awkward
1: it was two very Mm. like all the scenes that we saw her in were very sexually charged and that's like the only times we ever saw her
2: and she's not white, so that's a little discomforting to see this, like, oh, okay, play into stereotypes, fun.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it, yeah, it's unfortunate, but, like, at least she's there, right? It took a lot of effort to get her even on the air because they wanted just a bridge full of white guys, you know? So to get even, like, a person who's not, one, a woman, let alone a woman of character, was just, like, a Herculean feat for uh g-rod to get onto television so i'm sure there's a lot of problems with you know trying to stereotype or kind of putting putting these people back in in their box so um
2: i think it's also i mean you're right uh but i think it's also worth bringing that conversation forward of people being like well there's this character on tv that's gay aren't they happy with that and it's like well one mm-hmm. character Is going to be like a wedge in the door, and it's not going to be representative. It's going to be palatable, and so it's probably going to be something that looks dated later. Like, so we Mm -hmm, we can see those arguments playing out in real time now. I think.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. And two, she's kind of tokenized, where you know, like when you're as a black person, like she speaks Swahili, right? (laughs) She doesn't speak Finnish. You know, she could have spoke. You know, she could have been Swedish or, or anything else. But, you know, they decided to make her speak Swahili because that's what, you know, people could understand. Or So, yeah, I thought that was funny, too. Like, why doesn't she – why can't she just speak Dutch or something?
2: Or or even just, like, the fact that she is a hypersexualized black woman is playing into racist tropes as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but
1: it's, it's, it's literally every single uh, female, every single, like – female actor on this show has been sexualized, like in every single episode that we've seen, except for the the second in command of the um the the pilot episode.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. who died or just disappeared mysteriously. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's interesting too because like I wanna give them more credit, like you said, of like making these people visible. But like the when we were talking about the lady with the basket weave beehive, like she's playing like a sassy waitress, like a silly Mm -hmm. airhead. And that would have been a really familiar character in like 50s, 60s TVs of like the like Mm -hmm. breakfast at Tiffany's kind of dumb waitress. Um, And I, I think then what's more disappointing though, is like how many shows today are the same way. Like I keep comparing it to Mad Men where Mad Men is set in that era, but it's supposed to be a parody, but they have the same problem. Like, particularly in the early seasons, they have a really hard time writing a female character that isn't playing into these same tropes. Um, And I mean, I'm sure we could point to shows that aren't set in the sixties that are happening today, but that would just press us all way too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So treatment of women, not, not great still, but Hey, they're, they're in there, right? They're, they're working their butts off.
2: Yeah. They apparently have jobs.
1: (laughs) This episode just sucked. I really didn't like it. Now that I'm rereading my notes and we're talking about it, I just remember how I was grinding my teeth the entire time. Like, I did like though that uh, there was a room called the dispensary, so they'd always be like, "Bridge to dispensary." That always made me chuckle a couple of times.
0: Oh no! Someone someone smoked all the weed, Captain. Uh,
1: can I pivot to a, a, a new point?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go for it.
1: They gave the, like, a truth serum to one of the officers. Who did they give it to?
0: Did they give it to... No, they, they were talking about giving it to the Dr. Crater. Okay.
2: That's right. But they but, didn't. Mm-hmm.
1: They didn't end up doing that? Yeah. Just the fact that they, like, had that as an option is insane. Absolutely insane. Because even in like even in, like, 21st century America, we do have the ability, I think, to, you know, drug people up in, like in the justice system to get them to talk. But like we, we, although we have the ability, we would never, ever, ever, ever do it. It was crazy how quickly they were like, well, let's just give them the truth serum. Like we got them in prison. Let's, let's give Mm -hmm. them the sauce and uh, let's make them talk. Like there was no rights that that person had in that situation.
0: No, that's, it's very, like, Cold War, right? Yeah. Where like, when yeah, the, the threat is big enough, all the rights go out the window. Yeah, the,
1: the ends justify the means. So just, the, feels, just the fact that they were going to do that just was insane to me.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's a good point. It's And I mean, like, I remember watching that scene being like, well, at least they're having a debate about it. But you're right, it feels like Really dark and not what you would expect from a Star Trek universe at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Because they would never do that in the '60s, even, right? Like that would be a total like regression eh. of.
0: I don't know, like '60s, like CIA kind of like spy work yeah, stuff. They I might, mean, they yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: for sure. But I just mean like just your daily like police interrogation, right? Like that would never happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't think it would hold up in a Starfleet court anything under truth Sir, i'm not sure
2: miranda the uh supreme court case
1: i'm gonna say 63 with with no
2: damn 66 so you're right around the era of people being like no we have to have rights and people need to know about it so this maybe does feel very 60s to be like should we treat people who are prisoners however we want or should we not do that
1: i'm going to be interested to see as we go forward like what uh, just through the lens of like like personal rights and liberties being protected especially under starfleet again i know it's a 60 show and they probably weren't thinking about this kind of stuff but they certainly thought about it in tng it's a huge thing in tng and, and i just wonder if there's like a seed of that um in these early shows
2: well, it's interesting because I think that those things happen in, like, all shows because they're a reflection of the era that they're made in. But it's so much easier to see in past eras. Like, it, it would be much harder maybe for us to see some of those things now.
0: Yeah, it is definitely. It's kind of easy to go back and see how regressive it they are. But it's hard to see how, like, progressive they w- are, too, because we're so used to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The final note I have
1: I just wrote Spock punches and I seem to remember <laughs> Spock punching somebody. Um, but
0: yeah, uh, I was g- we We're going to get to that where, so this is, this is the last scene where um, McCoy, we'll talk about McCoy later too, but um, he's basically been taking He's took some, some sleeping pills and he's been sleeping. And then uh, the alien comes in and wakes him up and he's like, they're trying to kill me. And then he doesn't know what to do. He's all groggy. And, you know, she's about to kill Captain Picard. And then um, Spock just runs in and he's like, it's not your girlfriend. And he's like, if she was your girlfriend, could I punch her in the face like this? And he's just wailing away at her and she doesn't care at all. And that was the the greatest part is just Spock hitting this woman with his full force.
1: The second episode in a row that we've watched where Spock kind of gets into... Uh, he's the most violent person on the ship, which is just interesting based on, you know, his physiology.
0: (laughs) He's though, I mean, he's a true equalist, right? He doesn't care if you're a man or woman, he's going to punch you in the face as hard as he can. Or,
1: or a Mm -hmm. God, a true, uh, a true nihilist.
2: Over and over.
0: (laughs) Um, That was just the best thing though, him punching her in the face. I also liked when it was revealed that it was the salt sucking monster. And then, um, she puts her hands on Kirk, and Kirk just starts screaming. Oh, 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 uh, he's just like, "Ah!" That's that's, that's great. a
1: that's a trope that always it bothers me. And like it had, like if it's a MacGyver, and you know, there's five seconds left until the bomb explodes. Like time is going to last a lot longer now as they start like mm-hmm. making decisions. Like with the other guys that this saw vampire killed. Like it was like a three second thing. And she's on Kirk for like 15 seconds as he's screaming the entire <laughs> time. So because he's the main character and he has the plot armor, um, you know, he's not going to die. But boy, she must've been torturing him because it didn't take her that long to do it for the other ones.
2: <laughs> I, the one thing I love, uh, William Shatner is in an episode of the Twilight Zone. It's one of the most famous ones. It's like terror at 50,000 feet and it's the mm-hmm. one where the man is like there's something on the wing there's something on the wing but then anytime someone comes by the monster mm-hmm. goes away and that's william shatner and the monster <laughs> on the wing looks so much like this salt sucking alien when it turns into its true form that i'm like is this this has to be on purpose it's just such a delightful little crossover
0: it's just the same the same costume yeah this is that was a great scream, and I know we're gonna have some great Kirk freakouts in the future, and that's what I'm I'm looking forward to.
2: I hope so. Well,
1: okay. Here's what I here's who I'm gonna cast for our new Star Trek series that we're gonna make. I think now that he's a little older and a little more seasoned, and and maybe a little bit more mellow, but not too mellow. If if we wanted to make like a 21st century Star Trek captain, I'm gonna pick Nicolas Cage. Because he has all of the same exact like, like the mannerisms of Kirk, the freak out, the the chewing the scenery a little bit. Um, I think Nick Cage with like a beard and maybe like a prosthetic forehead
2: and like, a, the shit out of that. Like a really like war traumatized captain.
1: Yeah, like a big scar across his eye. Uh
2: uh-huh. huh. Who's like I've Bad. I've seen it all, kids. I'm just hoping this is going to be a quiet posting, but of course it never is
1: and would be like I've seen it all kid."
0: he would uh shout every line
2: oh my god do you, I, I think we could get him on board if we like kickstarted this
0: we just need a hundred dollars and he's in
2: <laughs> on a moment of genuineness there's a part where uh someone says something about the salt monster I think some character says he's just trying to scare us and Kirk replies and it's working and I love that because there was just such, like, a humanity and warmth and, like, but a little bit of humor to Kirk, like, that kind of, like, well, fuck you, it's working, um, that I was like, I see why this character is such a mainstay like that was a really good line where I was just like yeah this is this is the seeds of what we're gonna see more of
0: yeah for sure yeah Uh, my favorite Kirk line is um, I don't like mysteries they give me a bellyache and right now I've got a beauty
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean that is very much like the say look at these dames they cause a lot of trouble but they sure are pretty to look at
0: (laughs) Ah, uh, these stands on the uh, on the bridge—sure, they cause trouble.
1: But they'll bring you a hamburger.
2: <laughs> they give me a belly. I was eating, bringing me celery with salt on it. I tell ya.
0: <laughs> I also like the food that Kirk was eating. He's eating these like weird like pills or something. I don't know. It was like they're like we need future food, so it's just like these little tiny things that he's like eating, and he's just like go take some pills, doctor. They'll they'll get you to sleep, and it's like taking a little bite of like a space apple or something like that. Oh
2: my god, I assumed it was candy. And I was like, how funny that they're having him eat candy.
1: <laughs> I wonder where that came from, like cuz that's that happens a lot in 60s sci-fi where like they have their nutritional pill, you know, like yeah. eat your pill. Um and I wonder like what the what the origin of, of that is because it's in a lot. It's like a it's like a trope in 60s sci-fi.
2: Well, isn't a pill in um TNG where they really make a point of like the replicators are just protein and they can change it into different things, but it doesn't taste as good.
0: Well, yeah. Like they say replicators aren't like real food. They, I mean, it's like if you take like a frozen, you know, like lean cuisine or whatever, you know, and like you compare, like you throw in the microwave and like, yeah, like, you know, it's chicken catatory or whatever. Like, yeah, it tastes pretty good. But it's not like if a chef, like, made you, you know, the real thing. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. But, I mean, like, yeah, this idea of, like, in the future everyone just eats protein sludge... Uh,
1: I don't know why when you guys were talking about the replicator not making really good food like it offended me I was gonna be like have you guys even tried it before (laughs) I
2: got a little upset too because like in deep space nine I feel like they don't rip on it as much they're just kind of like it's as good as the real thing and it seems like they can get drunk Uh, in TNG there's a line where they're like the synth doesn't even get you drunk Like, oh my god
0: yeah, there's a, there's a lot of confusion around that. The synth I don't know what synthale is. I've seen a lot of Star Trek, and it's confusing.
2: I wonder if it's like Harry Potter and Butterbeer, where we could find a recipe for synthale online. <laughs> I did
0: I did see a scene from a uh, Gene Roddenberry interview where he talks about synthel, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's like you drink it." And you feel good. It makes you feel like a poet or like a warrior or whatever you need to at that moment. But then like if there's a crisis, you could like through force of will make yourself sober again. So I don't know if that's really what they were going for or whatever. But that's what he said it was.
1: So you, you you take a pill uh, and the pill just like dissolves all the alcohol, all the synthol. So you can like sober up instantly.
2: This, oh, really? This sounds yeah. like something an, an alcoholic would come up with.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Don't worry, I took the pill. Right. <laughs> I'm ready to drive
0: the Starship. Uh, so what would you guys think of... Uh, I think this is Dr. McCoy's uh, entrance into the show. I love Dr. McCoy. He always gets some gets some good, good lines in there. I think we hear the, he's dead, Jim. Also, like, when he says, like, they're arguing about what's wrong with you. And he's like, don't tell me, Kirk. He should just get up and walk away from here. There's just so many great lines that he gets i I love McCoy um I didn't think he was that great in this episode and he's like asleep half the time too so hopefully he can have more time to shine which I'm sure he gets
1: I was when I when I like the first five minutes in because this is the first episode that was aired after the pilot so this was like if you what was the name of the pilot with uh the cage Pike, the cage so mm. If you, if you were a person in the 1960s and you, you wanted, you heard about this new show called Star Trek and you sat down and watched the first episode, this is the second one that you would have seen after, um, after the pilot. So like, oh, oh, or was this the first, I think this was the first, first. yeah, Yeah. it was the first. So like, this was, this would be your first time ever meeting Kirk or any of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting because this was I think this was like actually the sixth one filmed, but they put it first because it had more action scenes in it. Um, Mm. So but I think it's interesting because like the first five minutes in, I was like, there's been no exposition on any of these characters at all. Like they're Mm. just like they're just talking there's no like my name is captain kirk and i'm from earth but i work in outer space this is my friend mccoy like they just jump right into it um and i thought mm-hmm. that, that was kind of cool like because it's they're, they're not like holding your hand it's just like okay come hang out with these uh new friends in space without a lot of like kind of babying the audience and understanding their personalities and their quirks they just jumped right into it, which I thought was kind of cool. But then I found out that, that that's because they filmed this one like sixth and they actually do the exposition in some of the other episodes. Mm-hmm.
2: I I actually think that that's like a thing in Star Trek is that they, they don't do a lot of this like catch up. Uh, I remember that in DS9 where they're just like, well, you know, there's a war on and then they just move on. Like they don't tell you what the war is or who it's between or what's going on. like. And I, I really like that. Like they're not treating the audience as if they're stupid.
0: They're really like trusting the audience to, you know, let them figure it out for themselves, and yeah. not treating them like idiots, which really can, I think, can harm shows and and movies in that way when you have to say everything out loud, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's funny because um, I was rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently. And they kind of do some of that where you can tell after commercial breaks where a character will say a line that's like recapping what's going on or like whatever the plot MacGuffin is. And it's usually a joke, so it works, but watching it a second time, you start noticing that that's what they're doing. Um, And it it does start to feel a little bit like they're kind of thinking maybe the audience isn't that smart. I don't know.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, too nowadays it's like we live in the age of distraction. Yeah, you know. So, um, I I hear that like, um, shows have to be like radio plays. Like a lot of things have to be said audibly, um, audibly. Maybe, um, because people aren't paying attention, you know, they're in their phones or sometimes I'm playing video games and stuff when I'm watching TV. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah. You have to have those audio cues or people are going to be lost.
2: As a grandmother, basically, I appreciate that because I like to knit while I watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: anything else you guys want to talk about?
2: I mean, that braided beehive was just beautiful. Oh, there's like this weird part where uh kirk is like hey i like we have an urgent message from captain jose and he's like oh tell him i'll get him what he needs and i'll be there soon and i'm like and they're like okay and he's i was like wow that's a cool little scene and then he's like chili peppers are not urgent and i was like oh no racism <laughs> like-
0: <laughs> it's like i have a you know case of you know, delicious enheim chilies for him, but they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna explode or whatever. He can wait for his chilies.
2: Yeah, I was like, oh man.
0: <laughs> I thought we could end every episode where we can talk about the moral of the story or what we learned. So, Corey, Emily, what did we learn this episode?
1: Uh, well, remember in uh, The Cage, I said that the moral was it's okay to lie sometimes. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I I think the moral of this one is you shouldn't lie, because if he hadn't lied about everything, I think everything would have worked itself out, you know, with the doctor and the salt vampire. So just don't lie.
2: I would say that or possibly for internal consistency, we've learned that if there's a simple solution, like give a creature salt, you should make it a much more high stakes, complicated, difficult solution for no real reason and then murder.
0: And I think what we really learned is murder solves any problem. <laughs> just, just just murder the salt sucking love monster. And as
2: long Absolutely. as long as you feel bad about it later. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you just gotta think about it later and
2: Brood in a handsome manner.
0: <laughs> as long as you feel bad about it later, murder's fine. Well, um, that was um, the man trap. Hope you guys enjoyed our discussion. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking. No. Ugh. All right. I, I do. Do you guys want to talk about the love thing at all? I felt like we didn't talk about that as much.
2: The love thing?
0: Yeah, where he's, they say uh, the alien needs love as much as it needs salt.
2: Yeah.